Hi, everybody, and welcome to Black Girl Creative. My name is Alicia Renice, and I'm so happy that you are here. As always, the Black Girl Creative podcast is brought to you by the Black Girl Creative Collective, a free community of Black women coming together, sharing space, and creating. And so today we have a wonderful guest. I'm so excited. And if you could please introduce yourself, let us know who you are, what you're about, all the things you want to say. Hi, y'all. I'm Adelia Borashade. Um, most people probably know me as Speaky Girl Travels the World. Uh, and what I'm about is helping Black women live their best lives, live life on their terms. And so that takes a variety of shapes, but that is my mission. I love that. I love everything about that. I just want to like, I want to dive straight in. <laughs> like I have, <laughs> I have so many questions, so many things that I want to um, ask you about, but um, I do want to ask you, let's go to the beginning, like who you were as a child growing up, even until adulthood, like what kind of things are you into? What were your dreams back then? Oh, that is a very hard mm -hmm. question to answer. And it shouldn't be um, partially because I think I've blocked a lot of my childhood out. Okay. Secondly, you and I've talked about this previously, like what were my dreams? As sad as it is to say, I don't, I don't know that I had any. I, I always joke that I was born an old woman, like, because I have had to, I have had to be very practical and logical my entire life. So um, the frivolity of childhood. I don't recall a lot of that. Mm -hmm. um, so when you say dreams, like from even a young age, I thought about life in terms of, well, you need a job and you need a job with benefits because you need to have health insurance. And none of the other kids were thinking those thoughts, but I was. So, um, yeah, that's a much harder question okay. for me to answer <laughs> than it should be. But there was... Uh, a part of me that wanted to go places and do things that that piece has always been there yeah. whether or not i believed it was actually possible i don't know but that part has kind of always been there so i've always sort of had a i guess the the spirit of an explorer maybe mm -hmm. i don't know i like that and do you know like if you could, like, do you know why do you think you were more practical, like more practical thinking? I think I had to be. Um, I was not. I was the youngest of three kids and the two before me had severe developmental emotional problems. So um, I was the quote unquote normal kid. Mm -hmm. So and I was raised by a single parent. So that meant I had to step up and do things, you know, like, and typical of a Gen X, I was a latchkey kid at five, you know? So um, I, I don't remember getting to be like this frivolous kid because that just wasn't my reality. I always had to consider like, what should you be doing? And what's the impact of doing this thing and that thing Absolutely. and all of that. Absolutely. And I resonate with that, even though I'm technically a millennial, um, my mother was a single parent as well. And so I have a younger brother. And so it's almost like I wasn't able to be a kid. Like I had too many responsibilities. <laughs> like I have people yeah. to take care of, homework to help out with, dinner to cook. And so while, um, while kids may have been free enough, like more free to be able to dream about these things that you're talking about, for me, it was very much like, oh, well, what can I do to actually help out at home? So like, you know, with my, my mother being a single parent, like I got a job at 16 because I don't want to be a burden to her anymore. And I do feel like 15. Yeah. 
See, yeah. So, <laughs> so I totally understand. <laughs> yeah, I it's it's sad, but it seems that a lot of a lot of black women I know have that same kind of story. There are some black women I know who who are able to like grow up free and like have, you know, both home, both, both parents in the household and having both parents present, not just physically, but also mentally and emotionally. Um, but a lot of people I know kind of grew up latchkey. So so, yeah, that responsibility does kind of cloud your your dream space. Like really, like it's really about survival. Yeah. Yeah. I I often talk about the first half of my life really Mm -hmm. being defined by that being about survival in one shape or another. Mm, That's so real. Yeah. Um, and, and so your journey took you to the educational system, right? Like you became a teacher. So how did that, how did that, how did you decide that you wanted to teach? (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Um, because of course I was told by my mother not to be a teacher. Um, but I was young and idealistic and I was going to change the world, blah, blah, blah. But honestly, I started college as a business major and my plan was to make my millions first and then go back and give back. And how was I going to make my millions? I wasn't completely sure, but what I knew about was going to the club. So I figured I would probably end up owning (laughs) a series of nightclubs. And that was all well and good until I got to financial accounting. All business majors had to take financial accounting and managerial accounting. And I took financial first and I fell asleep in that class every single day. I was, I, I could not stay awake. And one day I looked around the room, 250 people in there, you know, typical large university freshman, sophomore level class. And I was like, I do not want to compete with these people for a Mm. job. I don't care enough about this. It wasn't that it was difficult I just was like, ugh. And so I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to change my major. And the only other thing um, I was really interested in was like social sciences, history, geography, that sort of thing. Um, And I was like, okay, so, you know, I'll I'll get a social science degree and I'll teach. I'll just do it in reverse. I'll teach first. Um, And so... Uh, that's, that's really how it happened. I changed my major in my sophomore year. Okay. That's really cool. And I can resonate with that. Um, there were a lot of times where I was in class and I said, I don't want to do this anymore, but I felt like I had to. Right. And so how did you even exercise your like want to actually change your mind? Cause I feel like some people feel like they have to stick with one thing. Well, I kind of had to, because I was on scholarship and, I, you had to be registered full-time and foolishly, I had only registered for 12 hours. So I couldn't even drop the class, but I decided I was going to sleep at home. So I just stopped going to the class. I'd show up to take the test or whatever. And I got my C, which is, you know, (laughs) it was all fine and good. Um, But I learned that lesson then. So um, that's, that's actually a good question. I think I was bold enough to make that change because to me, these were two paths that I had kind of always figured I'd be on. It was more of a question of, well, what do you do first? What do you do second? Right. Right. Um, but at the same, in the same breath, what I really wanted to do was major in geography, Mm. but the university I had gone to had just dismantled their geography department and only offered, 
the classes you needed to get. I will, I got certified. I got a social studies composite certification, which meant you, I could major in history, but if I took the certain number of government classes, economics and geography, I could also teach those. So that was my, my, what's the word? Like my fix, Mm -hmm. my, and, and that's something I've done throughout my life is like, I can't make this big, bold change, but how can I take my current situation and make it work? That's really good. So um, I did that. And because I stayed there because I had a scholarship, Mm -hmm. if I was really bold, Mm -hmm. I would have said, bump this. Where's a school that's got a good geography department and let me go there. But I was like, I don't know how I would pay for that. Yeah. So (laughs) I had to sort of make it work where I was. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand that. And I get it too, because college is expensive, still paying for it now. Um, and this is this is before it was very expensive. Okay, got you. Ooh, so sorry. this was like in the 90s. Yes. Ooh, okay, jealous. <laughs> so you entered into, um, you entered into the field of teaching. And so how was that like for you, like as a black woman, like teaching about geography and these social sciences? What was your experience? Um, I now a lot of people may not agree with me on this, but I believe, you know, there's the popular adage, those who can do and those who can't teach. We all know that's bullshit. Yes, it is. Um, But I think teaching is something you either innately have or you don't. And very objectively, I decided I had it. (laughs) So um, the struggle really wasn't, you know, like with the ability to teach and that sort of thing. Um, The the issues in the beginning I had were, I got at a really great school, my very first job. However, it was a school that had, was landlocked and had outgrown its building. So there Mm. were 14 teachers floating my first year. So a brand new baby teacher and I've got to float. I don't have a room of my own. Some of the teachers were not enthusiastic about having me float into their room. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are 3000 kids in the hallway and all of my stuff is on an AV cart that I've got to navigate up three flights of stairs. Like that's, you want to keep somebody in the profession. That's not the best way, but you know, we could be here all day talking about the things they do in education <laughs> that are backward. Yeah. Um, and I was like, cool, you know, what are the, like, they started to build temporary buildings. Mm. And I was like, what, what are my odds of getting one of those? And they were like, somebody's gonna have to die. And so, <laughs> cause, and that was real. <laughs> and so I transferred to a district cause actually as a black woman, and I looked, I looked the age of my students on my Facebook page. I have a picture from the end of the year. Uh, my seventh period class gave me a going away party. And you have to really look hard to figure out who the teacher is. That's a good problem to have. <laughs> so, you know, on the one hand, I think that could have been an issue of like establishing my authority and that sort of thing. I didn't have too much I had some jerky boys, but you know, that's life. Um, I didn't have too much of an issue with that, but my students looked like me. Mm. And then when I transferred to another district where I spent the bulk of my career, there were very few black people at Mm. all. And so, you know, like I, 
just remember this, the very first job interview I had, which incidentally was in the district that I ended up going to, the principal, this was my first professional job interview. Uh, in the course of the interview, he basically told me that he didn't think that the parents would go for a black teacher. What? Yes. He said it as plain as I am saying it to you. This is in 1997. What? And I was just like, wow, because he had an issue with my age and he or he thought the parents would have issue with my age and issue with my skin color. Mm-mm. Um, I I was so dumbfounded I because that is like the last thing I expected. Um, so I didn't really even have a reaction other than put to put that man on my enemies list. Um but yeah, so that was a very different environment. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like it was exhausting? Like, do you think that it was like from, do you think that he set the the standard for how your career went or do you think you no. try to make the best? Okay. No, 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 no. That's good. No, yeah. I, I just kind of chalked him up to being a very small, dim-witted man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and I went on in that district to, to move up almost mid-level there did come a point I did run into uh there was some restructuring I had changed departments uh I'd left the classroom and I ended up with a boss who you know we had to flat out say somebody had to say like do you have a problem with her because she's black wow because when somebody from the outside looks at how you're treating everybody and look at her because again like that wasn't where my mind first went of course right Um, but it did get to the point, I mean, she's just a horrible human being, but it did get to the point that she, when she found I was leaving, because again, I, I guess I have a history of not staying around for things that don't serve me. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is not it. Mm -hmm. I'm leaving. Mm -hmm. She called, I was going back to the classroom. She reached out to my new principal to talk to her about me. Oh no. And I was like, (laughs) crossing wow oh yeah oh yeah and so for our final thing like she had emailed me something and I was like look if HR is not present I have nothing to say to you so I don't I say all of that to say I don't know how much race played into my career Mm -hmm. I think I was able to achieve much of what I wanted to Mm -hmm. um I know the last few years that I was in the classroom in Texas, I was at a school that was uh, ethnically and racially uh, mixed. And there were a lot of kids, a lot of black kids who were like, when I saw you were my teacher, like, yeah. like th- that was it, you know? So I feel like I got to, to make a difference, but as anybody knows, teaching takes a lot out of you. Yeah. Yeah. I I like what you said earlier about you knowing when to leave something that doesn't serve you. And number, well, first, before you even get there, like, I love the fact that you even knew enough to advocate for yourself. I feel like, I don't know, especially like in business or in the workspace, I feel like sometimes boundaries are not set. Like sometimes it's like people overstep their boundaries and you're sitting there wondering like, is it me? Like, am I tripping? Like, oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) And you were just very much like, no, like, I'm not going to talk to you unless there is HR present. Like I'm going to advocate for myself, right? Like, so. Now, admittedly, this was after a year, like 
this woman literally drove me to drink. We were, and it was all of us in this department where it was like, okay, where are we going Friday? Because it was so bad, but I was the only one at the end of that first year who said, I'm not doing this because in education with a lot of people, once you leave the classroom, it's kind of seen as going backwards if you go back. And I was like, look, you know, like I like to teach. I like my content area. The new school I was going to, I knew the admin there. I knew that they would allow me to do me. Um, So I was like, I'm not putting up with this. The amount of stress I was under that year, I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Interestingly enough, at the end of the next year, there was more restructuring and all of those people uh, basically lost their job, were assigned random places in the district. It was it was crazy. And a lot of people were like, oh, wow, you saw you saw the writing on the wall. I don't know about that, but I just (laughs) knew I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. And, you know, uh, yeah, I took a pay cut to go back to the classroom, but that's all right. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes it's worth it. The pay cut is worth it. (laughs) And so, so now I want to talk about like where you are today and like how you got, how you transitioned, (laughs) right? So right now you're talking to us from where? Like Mexico city, Mexico city. Okay. So I know a lot of people, um, maybe wondering like, how did you even get to Mexico in the first place? But like, what was that moment for you, like in your life that you were just like, you know what? I'm over it. Let's, let's try something different. What did that look like for you? Oh, wow. I just saw a Facebook memory because I used to live in Mexico city four years ago. And I was like, and then it showed like a memory from 12 years ago. And I was like, that Adelia would never have guessed Mm. she would be here 12 years later. Um, What was that moment like? Uh, It was a long time coming. uh, And I had to leave a a very long and unhealthy marriage in order to do it. Uh, I was not married to somebody who was a partner. Hell, I don't even think dude really liked me all that much. Oh, no. Eh, you know, hindsight. Yeah. This is why, if anybody's watching, this is why you don't make life-changing decisions when you're 19 years old. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just put that out there. Um, it was it was a long time coming, but it really came down to a moment where I felt like if I don't choose me in this instance, I am going to lose myself. There will be no me left. And that then set in motion, a series of decisions. So I decided to leave an unhealthy marriage. And in that moment, I said, because this is right, right before I turned 40, basically looking back at what the first half of my life was. And like I told you, it was about survival, keeping my head down. And I was like, I don't want to live that life. If this is all the time I get on earth, wouldn't it suck if that's, that was the story I left. Yeah. And so at that point, I made a conscious decision that I was only going to do the things that I wanted to do. That then made me reevaluate everything. So shortly after that, beginning of the school year, I'm sitting at my desk early September and I was like, I'm done with this. Uh, And if I was 
a better person, a lesser person. I don't know if it would have made me better or worse. I would have bailed then, Mm -hmm. but I happened to teach uh, advanced placement. I didn't want to leave those kids with a sub who was not going to get them ready for the exam. So I said, okay, this is it. I know that this will be my last year. If I got to work at Starbucks after this, I don't care, but I am done with this. Um, after that, it was like, okay, so what am I going to do? I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I did know I always wanted to move abroad. The easiest way for me to do that was to just take the career I already had and transition that over. And so that's what I did um, and ended up leaving the U.S. in 2016 to move to Honduras. Yes. So many things. Um, (laughs) Which is great. This is all great. Um, Knowing when it's your time to leave, right? And to leave, like talk about jobs or professions or marriages, because I feel like, and I'm speaking generally, but I know a lot of Black women stay longer than they should. Like they, they stay longer. Oh, yeah. And a oh, lot yeah. of things. Because specifically when it comes to marriage, yeah. we stay longer than we should for a bunch of reasons. Mm. One, because we are taught that part of our value comes from having a man. And, you know, there's a lot of this bullshit guilt, Mm -hmm. guilting that's going around like, oh, I remember when marriages used to last forever. That's because grandma and them didn't have choices. She couldn't have a credit card in her name. She couldn't get a mortgage. She couldn't get employed. So don't romanticize that if you weren't in those women's place. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I, I know from my mother that my grandma probably there probably was no great love affair between her and my grandfather, but he was a nice enough guy and she didn't have a lot of options, Yeah, you know, and that's what you expect in the 1930s. Okay. So we stay because of that. We stay because of the children. I know that's part of the reason that I stayed. We stay because you don't want to look like a failure. You know, there's, there's, there's so many reasons. This is, um, This is why I get really upset when people, when a woman comes out and talks about abuse she has suffered and people are like, well, why did she stay? The question really, and uh, what is her name? FK Twigs? Yes, FK Twigs, I think. Yes, because she was recently talking about the abuse she suffered at the hands of Shia LaBeouf. Mm -hmm. And people were like, well, why didn't you leave? And she was like, the question you should be asking is why was he treating me that way? Exactly. Why is the burden on me? But as Black women, that is often how we move Mm -hmm. because it's up to us to make it work. It's up to us to hold everything together. Uh, This is why... uh, I think it was one of my children I was talking to and she said something about your marriage failing. I said, no, my marriage didn't fail. I said, the fact that it lasted 20 years, that's because I carried that bad boy on my back for those 20 years. That is not a failure. I don't consider it to be because I made it work, but it's all of those emotions and all of that, that crap Mm -hmm. is part of why we are hesitant to step out and step away from things that are not good for us, that are no longer serving us. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's really good. And I like how you touched on shame too. Like, I feel like 
one thing that black women are very familiar with is shame. Like, like shame. Like get it from every direction. Every direction. Yeah. And for you, how did you how did you navigate that? Like, how did you say, you know what? I don't I don't know if if people said anything about it or you know, if people you know what? Mm-hmm. I, who knows what was said? Ooh, I, like I, I imagine there was a lot said about me, but I was like. I don't care. Mm. None of that makes a difference because what's the alternative? I can make these choices that serve me or I can lose myself. Yeah. Mm. Like, and so given that choice, I'm choosing me Mm. and fuck everybody else. Yeah. So Mm. I, I actively, I really just did not care. I didn't, I didn't seek out to hear, well, you know, well, what, what, what you ain't in them saying about, I didn't care. I didn't listen. Um, And I think there was kind of a realization that, and as black women, we get this, no matter what we do, we're going to get criticized. So why not do what makes me happy? If I'm going to get talked about and I'm going to get called all these kind of names and accused of all these things, I might as well do this. I might as well live life on my terms. Yes. It's kind of how I looked at it. Yes. I think, I think that's absolutely beautiful. Oh, that's so good. Cause you're right. Like even with the influx of, you know, internet people <laughs> talking down on black women and how everything is our fault. It's like literally they move the goalpost. There's no way that Yeah, there's win. no winning that. No. There's no winning that game. No. And so I don't if I if I can realize that that's how that's the game we play, I'm I'm not playing it. Exactly. Like I'm not playing the game. And people and you can see people literally and I feel like people get triggered for two reasons, right? I, I or for a few probably, but I'm just going to mention two. I think one is that people people either want to have you under their thumb or want to, you know, be able to like, I guess, control the narrative. But I also feel like some people get triggered when they see people not playing the game anymore because they've been playing so long. And it's like, yeah. you don't know. That either. absolutely <laughs> makes them question, mm-hmm. ask themselves some uncomfortable questions. Yes. And uncomfortable questions that they don't want to really examine. Well, why is this making me feel some kind of way? Right. Um, it's just easier to say that I'm the problem. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so I want to talk about freedom, right? I want to talk about freedom, what that means to you. Like, what does it mean for you to be free? Like, what is your definition of freedom? I don't know if I have a definition. I have a, I have a sense of it. Like I am free now because, and I say that because I I live my life the way I want. I I take work that I want. And I know there's an incredible amount of privilege to be able to do that. But that is also a privilege I didn't have in the first half of my life. So I am going to enjoy the, the fruits of that privilege. But that when I wake up, what I do, who I spend my time with, where I live, all of those choices are mine to make. And I don't, I am, I'm free. I don't have guilt about those choices. 
I, I don't know if that answers your question. It does. Not, it, it does. It does answer it for sure. Um, because I, I know, I know we all have our own definitions of what freedom is. And so I wanted to get yours. And I know a lot of people want to themselves be free or to get free. And I want to know, like, kind of going into that question, like, what has freedom cost you? Like, what has it cost you to be free? Ah, uh, that is a good question. And actually, funny you asked that because I was toying with the idea of doing a podcast episode of like the cost of living this life. Yeah. What has it cost me? I mean, there's the obvious thing. I, I haven't said it today, but the life that I live would not be possible for me in the United States. Mm. So I have to be gone somewhere else to live this life. That means my kids are not in the same country with me. My grandkids are not in the same country with me. So there's there's that piece. Um, there, it, there are people, and I don't know if this is a real cost or not, but I, there are relationships that I can no longer maintain mm. because people don't know, they don't know what to do with me. Mm-hmm. Because when you, when you don't fit easily in a box, when you cannot be easily categorized how you're moving through life, the choices you are making, some people can either embrace that and it's like, wow, that's awesome. Or some people find that threatening and it makes them uncomfortable. And so like couldn't maintain those relationships. Um, I mean, I I don't know that this is something I really care about, (laughs) but I will admit that it is a real thing that if I wanted a life partner, because of who I am and how I choose to live my life, I have shrunk the pool down to basically I am looking for a unicorn. Yeah. <laughs> and like I said, I don't know that I'm like hurt by that. Mm. But again, my, my logical side is like, well, this is the reality of the situation and it's OK to be aware of that. So I would say that that's a cost, too. But that's. Yeah. Because I was just telling somebody that if you want a partner, you either have to get lucky or you have to be complicit with the patriarchy. Uh-oh. <laughs> and, and luck tends to work better when folks are younger. Yeah. And I am at a place in my life where I refuse to be complicit with the patriarchy. Yes. So again, that shrinks my options a whole lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I, I, I put that all in the, in the cost. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's the other side of it. Like I am working through some feelings of, and I think this is a uniquely either a black thing, or this is something people of color do have when we live outside the U S and we all of a sudden have privilege because mm-hmm. I didn't have it in the U S that I'm looking Like in my apartment building, they post the breakdown of the association fees. And I see that what they pay for security is the equivalent of my month's rent. Mm. And there are two security guards. Well, that's the amount they pay to the security company. How much the security guards who work 24-hour shifts, how much are they actually making? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm working through that, being in a position of privilege and on a daily basis, seeing people who are not in that. Yeah. But again, yeah. that's, you know. Yeah. 
I, I do agree with you that especially black people or people of color definitely have to wrestle with that thing because they know the other side of that. Like they yes. know in order to live this life, there are people who have to, I guess, miss out on some things, you know what yes. I mean? Um, and I want to talk about like your life in the States versus your life in Mexico right now. Like how, mm-hmm. how is it different? Like, how is it better? Like, what are, what are some pros and cons? Like, I yeah. am, I am free. Mm. I am literally stress free. Mm. Um, I can live a life of ease. I wouldn't say a life of leisure because I'm like, yeah, it's fine to relax, but that's like not my goal. But I couldn't live this life in the United States because if you choose to disengage from the whole hamster wheel pursuit of the American dream, it's very hard to find a place uh, to fit. Um, the co- it's cost prohibitive for one. Uh, I could not if I if I wanted to. I now do because I rec- I officially retired from teaching in June 2020, and now I do work that makes a difference. I do work that matters to me. Yes, and for the most part, I can support myself on that. That would not be possible if I lived in the United States. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And because I'm not overly worried about finances, I am free to pursue other things. Like yesterday was the sixth class, maybe. I'm taking a screen printing class in Spanish here in Mexico City because I sew and I was like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I could print my own fabric? So I have the freedom to pursue that Mm. and not worry about, well, that's four hours in the middle of the day that I should be being productive and making money and that sort of thing. So my life is much less stressful. And I am able to center the things that matter to me, Mm. travel and helping black women, like doing the work that matters to me. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, Again, a lot of things that that stuck out to me um, when you were talking about the money part, the money part, I feel like money, a lot of us are so wrapped up in, again, survival that we can't think of anything outside of, oh, I have to make a dollar or I have to be productive. Um, do you think for one, do you think that you had to unlearn anything moving to Mexico, like unlearn the constant, like striving and, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say unlearn because it, I was never a good fit for that. I always joke about being a bad capitalist. (laughs) Um, so I, I did not enjoy it. And I was aware that I didn't enjoy it, that I didn't want to strive for those things that I would much rather like enough was enough for me. Mm -hmm. And I was very aware of the fact that that was the antithesis of the American lifestyle and the American ideal. So for me, part of the reason I moved abroad was to free myself from that. And I don't want anybody listening to this and think, well, of course, it's easy to be an American and move abroad and have more money than people. Y'all, when I moved to Honduras, I took a 60% pay cut. I mean, like, (laughs) 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 and while I was, you know, my, my employer was paying my rent, I was still like 
it was me and my kid. And so I still had to make that little itty bitty money they was paying me. I had to make that work. And so I'm not talking about living a life where I'm coming here and I'm just like balling out. Right, right. Um, now I am, I am fortunate that I can afford to live alone. And I, but for my mental health, it is best that I live alone. Cause again, <laughs> that goes back to my childhood. Yeah. Um, wanting to, I, I have never, that first half of my life, I never just got to be alone and be in my space and be free. Yeah. So that's a big thing for me. But if I had to, I would live with someone and I probably will eventually because that just will make more sense as time goes on. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really have to unlearn per se that piece mm -hmm. because I never liked that piece. Like yeah. I, I was very much aware that this, you don't fit right with this. Yes. Yes. That's really good to know because I feel like a lot of people don't know that they don't fit. They think something's wrong with them. Like they think Again, like how we talked about on your podcast about hustling, grinding, like how we're trained, we're literally trained to be these productive beings, like these machines, as opposed to like actually taking time to be like, hmm, maybe, maybe I'm tired or I'm exhausted because I don't really want to work in this system. Well, the American system, as much as Americanism is supposed to be about independence and different, it's no. no, there needs to be very much a sameness and, um, what was I going to say? Ah, one of the things that made a huge difference to me and my mental health was finding out that I was an introvert mm -hmm. because the bulk of my life, I had just been told, well, there's something wrong with you. Like normal people act this way, right? Why can't you be like that? And once I had a term and I figured out like, oh no, this is a thing. It's not just a defect with me. Well, that, that changed the whole game. And that changed a lot about how I move through life. Yeah. So yeah, if you can look at the American system and you can say like, this does not fit well with me. And it's not that there's a problem with me. It's just, this ain't the system for me. Cause here's the thing. It's all a lottery of birth where you end up. Yeah. Yep. So <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it is. True. And that's something I've been, cause my, my father was Nigerian. So again, cause I had the, uh, I thought like an adult, I thought as a kid, I was like, well, if he hadn't married my mom, mm -hmm. who would be my mother? Would my mother be a Nigerian woman? What would my life look like if I grew up there? And so mm -hmm. at, from a very young age, I was aware of the fact that my life is this way. Cause I just so happened to be born here. Yes. And that's not about me or what I deserve. That's just about where I happen to be born. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that sort of thing definitely shapes my outlook on the world and geopolitics and immigration policies and all yes. those kinds of things. Yes. Um, especially I like when you're talking about the being introverted, same, I am an introvert as well. And I always thought that, oh, I should, and especially like working, my jobs usually are in like service. So always being around people, always having to, um, and not necessarily that it was bad. It was just exhausting. Like after, after a while, like you're just kind of like, 
okay. And then like, you know, my mother is an, is an extrovert. And so she's like, you know, moving and shaking. And I'm just like, I need to go in a room real quick just to like gather myself. And it's not because I don't want to be around you. It's just that I just need time like to myself. I need time to not do anything. And I think, like you said, like knowing these things about you is really important. Um, but we really have to make the time to actually find out about ourselves in order to make the best decisions for ourselves. So, so I love that. Um, I do want to ask you about money, right? Cause we okay. talk about, we talk about privilege and everything like that. And I know for a lot of black women, one of the reasons why they say they can't do what they really want to do is because they don't have the resources or they don't have the money. And so for you, like, what was that like? Um, and you know, I'm, I'm just, again, I'm not a teacher, but I've heard that teachers don't make the most money. No. Okay. Peanuts <laughs> and ice water. That's what I made. Um, and I didn't, my very first teaching job paid $24,000 and I thought I was coming up. Oh, okay. <laughs> I really did. Um, and I had, cause being a teacher, one, our salaries are public information. Anybody can Google it and find out. And so this idea like that people who work in corporate or in the real world, how like you get bonuses and you get a raise, like that's, completely foreign. There is not that much difference between what a starting salary is for a teacher versus you put in your whole 30 years. We're talking about tens of thousands of dollars worth of difference when you have 30 years experience. So like I wasn't really aware of how little money I made until I started getting in these financial groups and these ladies would post like, okay, so who's making more than 250,000? Let's talk about how you got there. And I'm like, I didn't know that was even possible <laughs> for like jobs. So no, I did not make a lot of money. And that's, that's one of the reasons I opted to become a little bit more public with how I move because Yes, I'm not, we're not going to play cray cray here and say you don't need money. Yes, mm -hmm. money gives you options, mm -hmm. but it may take less money than you think. That just because you don't make a lot of money yeah. uh, doesn't mean you can't make it happen. Mm -hmm. It's just going to look different for you. Mm -hmm. I like that. I do like that. Um, and so, how do you sustain yourself? Like, what is the work that you do? Well, um, I am in the position to do this because when I left the U.S., I didn't have any debt. That's a big piece of the American lifestyle. Yeah, it is. And it works very well at keeping you locked into that lifestyle because there's this whole debt cycle that you, you can't escape. So because I didn't have debt, that freed me up quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and so I was able to save significant portions of my income uh, because here's the thing. It all boils down to either you're going to make more money or you're going to spend less. Mm -hmm. And there are all these people who talk about, well, yeah, the millennials need to cut out avocado toast and start. That's not going to make a difference. I mean, like there's only so much of that you can do. Yeah. But because like I'm and I'm never going to tell somebody, oh, you need to go out there and get you three side hustles because mm -hmm. I don't believe in hustle culture. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, as a teacher, because y'all think teachers work from seven to three. No, teaching is the only job that you have to do. You have to go to work early to work on your work because you don't have time to work on your work during work, <laughs> you know, like so. 
the amount of time I gave to my nine to five job, a side hustle was not an option. There was no time. There was no me left for that. So for me, it was very important on keeping my cost low. Right. That's what allowed me to free up money to either invest or to save. Mm -hmm. So because I was in that position where I had a little bit of a cushion and I moved to a place where the cost of living is less, I can do the work I want and not be constantly stressed about, well, how many clients did I have today? And, you know, how many sales did I make in that sort of thing? Yeah. Yeah. I, that's really, that is really, we talk about debt. Uh, yeah. Debt is a trap. <laughs> debt does, does keep you in that cycle. Um, and it's almost, it's almost normalized. Like it, it's not, no, almost, it it's not, it's beyond normalized. Yeah. It is an expectation. It is a way of life, especially when you look at the numbers in the United States and they talk about how people don't make enough to, to pay for things, but yet everybody's still living this life. The only way they're doing that is by mm. using debt. That's real. Yeah. And when economies move beyond industrialization, mm -hmm. there gets to this point where it's really about like, okay, we need consumerism. Yeah. If you look at the American economy, it's about spending. And how can people do that when real wages haven't gone up in what, like 20 years? It's the only way, because you're, you're looking around and you're like, well, people are living better. They're more, they are paying for that with debt. Mm. Yeah, that's that I, I I really feel like that may be one of the reasons with now, now that we've had the pandemic, that's getting to the, 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 the curtain is getting cracked a little bit and people are seeing more how precarious the economic situation is in the United mm -hmm. States. Mm -hmm. But before that, that's how people could. And I'm not talking about individual people. I'm talking about society as a whole was sort of oblivious to the fact that prices are going up, but wages are not. Yeah. What's what's making those two meet? Yeah. Debt. Yeah. Yeah. So it's beyond normalized and versus I live in a country where basically people are afraid of debt, like. The government won't, they won't embrace debt. That's, that's part of the reasons why in some ways Mexico looks really poor mm. because they won't engage in the debt activities that a lot of other countries do. Right. Right. But and then, so, but then is that bad, right? Like living in, within your, yeah. <laughs> it, so, so yeah. Yeah. So that, that's, that's a piece of it. That's really what made the difference for me. And, and if anybody's watching this or listening to this, I'm not talking about student debt. That's a whole nother conversation. I'm talking about consumer debt. Yeah. Cause if you're like, I would love to move abroad, but I got these student loans. You move out of the United States, you gone for 330 days a year. You do income-based repayment. Your income is zero. Therefore your payment is zero. So we're not talking about student loans. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that I, I, I'm a fan of wait them out. Yeah. Yeah. And you can wait them out and not pay money if you move abroad, mm. but consumer debt. Yeah. And I, and I understand, um, how easy it is to get caught into that because it's like, well, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. This is something I had to work with my oldest daughter on. But I was like, if you're putting it on a credit card, what you're saying is I don't make enough 
to afford this. Yeah. And you couple that with American society being this one where you're supposed to go out on your own at 18 and get your own place. Nobody else in the world does that. No, no. I am an oddity here Mm -hmm. because I live alone. One bedroom apartments are more expensive here, excuse me, because the only people who use them are foreigners because locals will not be moving out on their own. They, they are gonna get, if they don't stay home with the family until they partner up or whatever, they're gonna get a roommate. Yeah, yeah. And if you think about it, how many people's financial issues would be lessened or eliminated yeah. if we were raised to be okay with multi-generational living? Yep, yep. Or that having roommates would be a normal thing. Right. It's that, it's that individualism. Absolutely. Yeah. The American like, oh, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, which is not even real. And no. <laughs> like all these things. I I totally agree. Because even, even personally, I grew up and my great-grandmother lived with my grandmother and my grandmother's son lived with my uncle, lived with her. And so multi-generational, like it was normal. Like it, this is this is normal. But then when you go out by yourself, it's almost like, it's really difficult for someone to be able to sustain a good life, right? Where you're not stressed out and overworked, um, living on your own um, by yourself, by yourself. And, and so we're, we're taught to praise, oh, you did this by yourself. You did this on your own. And that's really the antithesis of what yes. we should be doing. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, I love that. Um, so if you could just even as, as we're starting to come to a close, could you tell us about like your work and like how you do help black women? Uh, well, uh, really kind of based off of my own experience, I am a firm believer that Black women have the right to live a life that they choose, one that they desire, okay? Mm -hmm. And as we've discussed here today, often the biggest obstacle to that is financial. So that is one of the reasons I, I don't like the term financial coach, but I guess I'm a financial coach, financial educator. I don't know. You pick the term you want. But what I do is I help you understand your money. I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you what to do with it. Okay. Not a financial advisor because personally, I don't think anybody needs those. There's nothing you can't do if you don't, if you understand the basics, you can do anything. And that's where I come in. Mm -hmm. I help you understand. I'm the person you ask questions to about like, oh, I got into this annuity. What did I do? Or I would, it'd be much better if you talked to me before you got into the annuity and we could talk about the pros and cons of it. Mm -hmm. So I help women figure out their finances, whatever that is and how that fits into living the life that they want. Yeah. You know, um, I guess I have a, a lot. <laughs> Somebody once said of me that I learn things the hard way so other people don't have to. Yeah, There is a lot of truth in that because there's <laughs> oh, no. so much of my life. <laughs> I can tell you, oh, don't do that because this happens. Yeah. And so I use that with my clients because... Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want women making those mistakes. And even if somebody like myself, who in their 40s finally gets to take control of their life, if I can do it on the peanuts and ice water that I made as a school teacher, anybody can. So that that's primarily the focus of my work. What does it look like on a day to day basis? 
I do like one-on-one coaching calls. Um, I run a financial confidence boot camp, which is basically all that stuff that you wish they would have taught you in school about yes. money, but nobody ever did. Yes. <laughs> I've got modules on that. And then you get four weeks of like group coaching time with me mm-hmm. so that you can, again, figure out your money and understand it and then use it as a tool to get the life that you want. Right. Right. And and I love what you said about like being honest, money gives you options. Money gives you options, (laughs) knowing how to use your money um, to fund the lifestyle that you want, right? Like not the lifestyle they're telling you that you should have, or you should pursue, but like really tapping. in. so it's, it's, it's not just about money. Like it's, it's it's not just about money. No, money is just the, the, the means to an end. Yes. But I'm not going to sit here and tell anybody, oh, it's not important. I have so clearly I was in Kuwait in a not great job situation. And I was like, y'all can stay and deal with this, but I'm not. Mm -hmm. And that's when it hit me. Why are they staying and why are you buying a ticket and leaving? Mm -hmm. It was money. Yeah. They either were in a financial situation where somebody else was depending on that money they needed to make and they didn't have another way to supplement it. Some people I worked with literally could not afford to buy the ticket. Yeah. And I was like, I don't need this job. I don't need all this BS. So that... Cause my daughter said, well, why are you, if it's so horrible, she was like, why are you leaving in there? Not. And it was like, mm-hmm. cause I, I have money and I have the option to leave. And I was mm-hmm. like, that's what I've been trying to tell you this whole time. Yeah. Money gives you options yeah. so that if you don't like the situation you're in, you can remedy that. Yeah. yeah. And I, I want that, that awareness, that ability to exercise those options. I want that for every black woman. I love that. I love that. Uh, so there's so many things that comes to mind when, when you just said that and about like having options. And it's almost like, I feel like some of us are taught not to exercise our options. I feel like, oh, some, like some people are like, oh, almost like there's, there is, there should be reward in suffering, right? There should be like, like, you, Absolutely. like hand clap for suffering all these years when in reality, you could just be like, I don't want to suffer anymore. You know? No, <laughs> think about uh, Think about that, uh, how our society praises those women who sacrifice themselves versus a woman who chooses herself. Yeah. It's, it, it, no, suffering is glorified. Yes. That is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to aspire to that. And no, no, I don't. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> no. Absolutely. Um, I know in our, in the last time we spoke on your podcast and we talked about um, being mediocre, right? Like being okay with being at like being average, not having to be superwoman or being, you know, like, and, and I feel like, and I, and I was going to make a, a video about this too, about how that kind of works against ourselves, right? Like it's, it's like we're praised for being superwoman and therefore we chase being superwoman, but sadly we see the negative impacts of that. We see that in how we're underpaid, but overworked. We see that in, you know, sadly how some women are dying during childbirth because we're seen as superhuman. And, and it's like, and I, and I really feel like when women opt out of suffering, it's it's like you're choosing to choose yourself as a human instead of like a machine. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. My my cousin, I think this came from the color purple. I don't know. Mm. But my cousin said a man don't like a free woman. Mm. And when a woman makes a choice like that, yeah. when she's bucking the system, yeah. it makes folks uncomfortable. 
And they don't, and this is why they are quick to criticize yes. when you make those choices because they don't mm-hmm. like free women. Yes. yes. When you opt out of that system, that is like the ultimate expression of freedom. And folks don't like that. Yeah, they don't. They really don't. They don't. <sighs> yes. So this this has been everything. Like this, this conversation, <laughs> no, it has been so good. No, I love talking to you. Yay. That makes me happy. I like talking to you as well. Um, if you could, if you could give yourself advice, like if you look back at yourself at the first half of your, of your life, right. Or the first, so far, <laughs> the first half of your life so far, what advice would you give yourself looking back? Or what, what loving words would you give yourself back then? It doesn't even have to be advice necessarily. Yeah. That right there. Yeah. Uh, that, what is it? Because my friend who also had a childhood full of trauma, but her mother told her she was deserving of all good things. Mm-hmm. And she makes a point to say that to her own children. And that's what made me realize so much of the first half of my life, I did not believe I deserved better. Wow. So that would be the advice I would give myself. Yeah. That you des- you are deserving of all good things. I love that. I love that. I love that so much. And I, I, I ask people to ask that because when I ask people to give advice to other folks, like sometimes it's like, oh, I don't, I don't really know what to say. But I think sometimes looking back at ourselves, looking at ourselves with love and kindness, being able to say those things, like people can take that for themselves as well. And so yeah. Black women everywhere listening, you are deserving. Okay. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <deserve. laughs> yes, absolutely. So please tell everyone where they can find you, where they can follow you, listen to you, watch you, all the things. Uh, pretty much I am picky girl travels or picky girl travels the world on the internet. My website is picky girl travels the world.com. There is, there is some blog content there. Uh, but right now, primarily my focus is YouTube and my podcast. You can find the podcast pretty much everywhere. Picky girl travels podcast. Um, and it's on YouTube as well. I'm on Instagram. Uh, That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I'm, I'm not, okay. I'm not on like Snapchat, TikTok. Like that's not happening. It's a lot. I'm 46. That's not happening. (laughs) But in most of the other places, if you just put in picky girl travels, you can probably find me. That's perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here. You're more than welcome. I know people got something from this episode and yes, please follow her, find her. She's everything. So until next episode, you all, thank you all so much for listening, for watching, and I will talk to you all soon. Bye.